Hello, welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Horizon Church in Allentown, Pennsylvania. We want to help people connect with God and connect with each other. If you'd like to know more about us, you can go to our website at horizonconnect.org. Enjoy. So actually, I I do have two additional things I want to share with you. One is a prayer request I just received this morning. Uh, Many of you will know Ross Stewart. Ross uh, was part of, um, has often been part of of our church, and Ross watches our YouTube. Uh, Some of you will know him uh, from another church, from Cyber Church. And so you will know Ross's family too. Ross has a granddaughter named Allison who has had cystic fibrosis uh, since she was three years old, um, Allison, I'm pretty sure, is in her 30s, if I recall, and uh, had one lung transplant um, over, I think, about 10 years ago. She had a lung transplant, uh, and uh, she just had a second transplant, lung transplant, in uh, San Francisco. The lung transplant did not go well. Um, and so Allison is right now in, in San Francisco in a hospital on, uh, on a ventilator and uh, not in good shape. Um, her, her mom, who is Cindy Stewart, not Stewart anymore, but some of you will know Cindy as well, Ross's daughter, um, just because of COVID and everything that's going on in that hospital, Cindy can't even be with Allison right now. Um, so they're going to have some really tough decisions to make, that family. So I would, Ross would ask us to pray for uh, his family, for Allison, um, Cindy, and the whole family. So we'll do that in, in just a second. And then I also want to let you know about what we're going to be doing in Easter. Next week we start Palm Sunday, and then we have our Easter week. And there are quite a few people who would, would like to be here uh, for Easter for Easter season, but for, um, for many reasons, um, with the whole COVID thing, have been reluctant to attend. So we're going to try, actually starting today, we're going to try to find a way to communicate to everybody at Horizon Church uh, kind of where we are personally. There are plenty of people who've been vaccinated and who, for whatever reason, are comfortable being together and shaking hands, etc. So from now on, on Sundays, especially during the next two weeks, so, so that we can uh, just communicate uh, to, to people and so that people can be here, we're going to ask you to simply all, when you come in, you'll get a chance to wear one of two colored dots. And these dots are simply a, just a, a symbol. And I expect you to take these seriously. Um, I do not want to see anybody, as I've seen sometimes, saying, oh, we're fine. Um, no, th- we're doing this for a reason, and I expect you to take them seriously. So if you have not been vaccinated or if you have health issues, and plenty of people do, um, and that would prevent you from uh, being close to a person, um, then when you come in, please take a red dot and wear it and put it on. And the rest of us, as we see that, I expect that you will acknowledge that person's request. And... Um, it, this, you know, this is not like just, oh, we're fine. Um, I expect you to acknowledge that and um, to maintain your distance and to take it seriously. Uh, others of us have been vaccinated uh, or uh, the concern is not as high. You can wear a green dot and that means the opposite. That means you're, you're more comfortable. We are still doing, we're still doing uh, and we expect to keep doing when you come in and leave. 
Um, we're ask, when you're interacting with people, we ask you to wear masks. Um, you know, as you know, we have the hand sanitizer, etc. Um, and it is time to come back to church. We are open. People have been asking that question. It's time to come back. And I'm not in a really good mood for a lot of reasons. So I'm simply going to say that there are a lot of you who have said, I don't want to come back because I don't want to wear a mask. Um, I want you to pray this week a prayer to Jesus. And I want you to say to Jesus, I know you went to the cross and it was pretty uncomfortable, but a mask is too uncomfortable for me to wear. See how that prayer goes. Um, And um, I I expect that it's time to start coming back to church and we'll, uh, we'll do what we can to make it make it work for you. Not everybody can. I completely understand that. Not everybody can. Um, But um, we'll do what we can, especially especially as we we head towards Easter. Now, um, one more thing about Easter, because we want to have a time to take communion and we want to do everything we can to to, um, give people a chance to do in-person communion, we're going to do services on Wednesday, well, uh, informal services on Wednesday and Thursday night of Easter week, Wednesday and Thursday night, where we will take communion in person here live. Um, and again, we will observe our, our, our social distancing, but it'll just give you a chance to take communion live if you are not able to be here with a group of people. Um, there'll be very similar services Wednesday and Thursday. You don't have to come to, bur- to both, but it'll be either or. Wednesday or Thursday of next week to take communion um, in person. So let me pray and um, let's, uh, let's move on. God, uh, I thank you for your presence in, in our church. God, we want to pray for Allison and her family, for Allison, Cindy, for Ross, for everybody. God, um, this is such a burden, and I know that... Uh, that Allison's family will likely have some significant decisions. God, we, we continue to pray for Allison's healing. I don't know what that looks like, God, but uh, I pray, God, that that would be the case. I pray for Cindy and her family, for whom this is just horrendous, not even being able to be present with, um, with her daughter. I pray, God, for Ross, for everybody who is going through this from a distance. God, I pray that, that, they would be to, that they would know your presence. Um, I pray that they would know your presence and your hope. God, I pray for strength uh, in their lives, and I pray, God, for wisdom. God, I pray for us, too, as a church. We have been doing this along with everybody else for a year, and it's been tough. It's hard. It's very hard. God, we have been, we are all over the place as human beings with, with COVID. Um, we've struggled, God. We've struggled to make this work. Um, God, I pray that you'll help us to be people of faith, to be people of faith. I pray, God, that as we enter what is an important time of the year, um, I pray, God, that you'll help us as a church to be to be able to connect in, in ways that we have not. God, now as we uh, turn our attention to you and to your word, um, I pray, God, for the power of your spirit at work within us. God, if in any way 
um, I say something wrong or if I get off track or if I have misunderstood your word, then I pray that through your spirit, you would protect us from being influenced the wrong way and building houses on sand. But I pray, God, that as we interact with truth, that through your spirit, you'd be at work transforming us to be the people you want us to be. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I know that uh, this will not surprise any of you in any way to know that the United States, our country, is, um, we lead the world, our country leads the world um, in, in um, every single category of spending when it comes to um, spending on health and wellness issues. We spent in 2018, the last year that I could find statistics, in 2018, we spent, the United States, $268 billion in various categories of um, health and fitness. And this is where it went. That $268 billion includes $37 billion that we spent on fitness classes, $58 billion that we spent on sports and recreation activities, $117 billion that we spent on fitness clothing and shoes, which is really, isn't it? Interesting that the category that we spent the most on was looking good, you know? but anyway, $117 billion on fitness, clothing, and shoes, $37.5 billion on equipment and supplies, $10 billion on, uh, on activities such as yoga, and $8.1 billion on technology, like the, the watches have technology to, to track our fitness. That's $267.6 billion, six up, almost $268 billion. That is a lot of money spent on exercises, is it not? And you know what's coming next, right? Is it working? Is it working? Well, the same health experts that track that, they put us as a country, they put us at number 146 in the list of all the countries in the world, number 146 on physical activities. So as a country, we are at the top for wanting it, and we are near the bottom for doing it. So for all of the interest in exercise, it has not translated into an actual change in our behavior. And I am not sure why this is exactly. It's a fascinating dilemma when you think about it. What is it that makes us want to change our health and yet not actually do it? Kind of a pickle, isn't it? Now, I actually think that we face a very similar dilemma when it comes to change in just about any area of life. We all know that we can change, that human beings can change. There are just way too many examples of people who change for us to not believe it's possible. But where's the magic pill? Where's the magic pill that makes change possible for human beings? Now, I know that you are here, you're watching, or you're here because you have some interest in faith. And here's the thing about our faith. Our faith does not give a no-change option. Jesus never offers a faith-light category. The expectation for every Christian is that we will grow in every way to be more like Christ. And so, our current series, what we've talked about for a couple weeks and what we will continue to talk about, 
growing up, growing up in every way to be more like Christ. But what does it mean to grow as a Christian? And what do you and I do to bring this change, this growth about? What do we do? Now, I have to be honest with you, in some ways, kind of as an aside, in some ways, I actually wish that we were doing this series in kind of a, maybe a weekend retreat format because we'd be able to do lesson after lesson after lesson, and one lesson would follow the other very quickly because what we're doing really doesn't translate into just one week's kind of a message. We're actually week after week after week, we are building on ideas, and all of those ideas are necessary. One truth alone simply isn't enough to talk about this idea of how we change. So as a quick review, last week we talked about the fact that it is God who is the driver of our growth and our transformation, not you and not me. We can't bring about ourselves. It's God's spirit who is the driver for our change. God transforms us. There's no other way to say it than that. It's God who does that. But what we talked about last week is that we have a role to play. And our role is to, in the language of last week, our role is to hoist the sails, enabling us to catch the wind of God's spirit. But the question for this week is, well, how do we hoist the sails? What does that mean to hoist a sail and try to catch the wind of God's spirit? Well, in a word, what it means is exercise exercise, or training. I want to read to you from a letter that Paul wrote to a a protege pastor of his, a young pastor named Timothy. And this is what Paul wrote to Timothy in chapter 4. Paul wrote this letter to his protege Timothy, chapter 4 of 1 Timothy. And I'm going to read starting at verse 7. Read a couple sentences. This is what Paul wrote. He said, Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, exercise yourself to be godly. Physical exercise is good, but exercise in godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone, how many people are exempt? Everyone should accept it, what I just read. Everyone should accept it. This is why we work hard and continue to struggle, for our hope is in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and particularly of all believers. Now, I want to teach you some Greek, and if, you got, if you're looking at your Bibles, just kind of keep your Bible open so you can see this. I want to teach you some Greek. When Paul wrote that sentence, and he used this word three times in what I read, Paul wrote the sentence, exercise yourself to be godly. The word that he used when he wrote in the Greek, the word that he used for exercise is the Greek word gymnazo. Now it's obvious. All you got to do is look at that word for like three seconds and you can tell what English words have gotten born from that Greek word. The word gym, the word gymnasium, the word gymnastics, etc., and a whole lot of other gym kind of words. Now here's the thing about that word. In the oldest Greek, in the oldest Greek literature, The word gymnazo actually referred to a very specific kind of exercise. It referred to the exercise or the training that uh, gymnasts would do to to do uh, 
even in the ancient Greek world, that the, that the gymnasts would do to do all of those kind of tumbling, uh, balancing, flying through the air acrobatics that when we watch, they make it look so easy, right? But if you and I tried to do it, we would literally rip our arms out of our sockets if we said, hey, let me try that um, without training, right? But over time, that word that specifically was used to gymnastics training, over time in Greek literature, by the time of Paul, it came to mean any kind of training, any kind of exercise, which is how Paul used it here in the, in the Greek. Now, this image, this image of physical training, it does not appear in just that one word. It actually appears throughout the whole paragraph in which Paul is writing. For example, if, if, you, if you have your Bibles and want to look at this, um, in verse 10, when Paul wrote in my, in my Bible, in verse 10, Paul said that he works hard in even that word. It's one word, works hard. Even that word is, is a word that Paul means, uh, it means you exhaust yourself in physical exercise or physical effort. Paul's saying, I'm exhausting myself in this physical effort. And in the very next phrase, after he said he works hard, Paul wrote, and I continue to struggle, which again is just one word in the Greek, and it means to exhaust yourself as a contestant in the games, specifically the Greek games, the, the Olympic games. So Paul takes lots of words and lots of images from this idea of physical exercise or physical training. Beginning to end, that's the theme in those verses that Paul's talking about. So here's the deal. Um, if it is God who transforms us, and it is, then our job, how we hoist the sails, how we catch the wind of God's spirit, our job, Paul is saying, is training. It's exercise. So I want to get as clear as I can possibly get this morning about what training is and how we do this. So for just a second, let's talk about what training is kind of apart from the Bible, what training is. Training is any activity that I can do now will enable me to someday do what I cannot do now by effort alone. Training is any activity that I can do now that will enable me to someday do what I cannot do right now by effort alone. This is true in any area of life, any area of life. I want to play the piano. I train. I learn where to put my hands. I practice the scales. I want to learn to speak French. I don't, but I want to learn to speak French. I train. I learn how to say letters. I learn how to say words. I practice saying phrases. I want to pay cash for my next car so that I don't have to go into so much debt and pay essentially twice what the car is worth. I train. I put a little bit of money aside every paycheck that I might normally spend on lottery tickets. I train. I want to be better about talking to people about my faith. I train. I practice having little conversations with every person and every chance that I get rather than just my stock phrase of how you doing and then ending, I just train and try to add a little bit to every conversation. I train, I exercise. In all areas of life, this is true. Growth comes from training. It comes from exercise. It's just true about life. 
Now, because we're talking specifically about growing up in every way to be like Christ, and because it is God who brings about change in our lives, not our training, it's God who brings about change in our life, let me offer a slightly amended definition of what training looks like for you and I in this context. Our training is any practice, any relationship, or any experience that I can do now that will enable God to transform me. Any activity, any relationship, any practice that I can do now that will enable God to transform me. And this idea is just, it is following Jesus 101. It it is basic to being a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's chapter one in Christian living. Jesus said it himself. He said, Every student who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Peter said it, always be prepared, he said. To be prepared literally means to be trained. Always be prepared, always be trained to give a reason for the hope that is in you. Paul said it of himself. He said, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Now, let me park on that last one. We'll keep it up there for a couple seconds because I want to show you something from that last one. Paul said, quote, I discipline my body. Discipline, as you all know, discipline is another word for training, for exercise, And in the church, almost since day one, followers of Jesus have labeled certain practices as disciplines. Sometimes we call them spiritual disciplines. Some of these disciplines have been around even long before the church. They're just basic to a spiritual life. Disciplines like fasting, uh, prayer, which is actually more than a discipline, but it's at least a discipline. Uh, meditation, journaling, abstaining from certain activities for a period of time, solitude, silence. Some of these have been around for a long time. They're just classic disciplines. But here is the thing about this list of disciplines. The kind of disciplines, the kind of training that you might do is endless. It is endless. It's not limited to 10 things. It's endless. A discipline, training, is any activity, any relationship, any experience that I can do now that will enable God to transform me. That means you don't have to look at the the classic ones. You You don't have to pick a certain kind of training or discipline just because other people are doing it. You don't have to pick a training just because it sounds especially spiritual. If a discipline doesn't help you, you don't do it. If I want to run a marathon, for example, if my goal is to train to run a marathon, then training for the annual chicken wing eating contest is not going to help me a whole lot. It's probably going to actually hurt me. So the question becomes, well, then how do I know what kind of training I should do? Here's how to know. We'll work backwards. Three questions we will ask. Question number one, what's the goal? What am I after? Question number two, what are my barriers? What are my barriers for achieving this goal? 
And question number three, what activities, what relationships, what experiences can I do now that will enable God to help me overcome my barriers? Now let's work through these as practically as we can. What is our goal? My goal is the same as your goal. We don't get to choose our goal. The goal for every one of us is in Scripture to grow in every way to be more like Christ. So, let's consider the life of Christ. We did this a little bit in week one when we talked about how to measure. Consider the life that Jesus lived. When I think about Jesus, these are the things I love about Jesus. I love his courage. I love his courage. I love the fact that Jesus lived a kind of joyful life that could not be taken from him regardless of the unpleasant circumstances around him. I love the peace that Jesus exhibited in his life. The peace he had regardless of the turmoil around him. He lived a generous life, a self-sacrificial life, a gracious life. He lived a life in community. He lived a life in which he was supremely confident in truth. Lived a life of faith. He lived a life in which he was willing and able to engage just about anyone in conversations about faith. And of course, he lived a life of love. In some ways, I think it's fair to say that that is foundational to all that Jesus was, a life of love. Now, there is more. You could spend a whole lot more time thinking about the life of Jesus, and you, and you can. But just take those alone, courage, faith, peace, hope, love. That's a pretty daunting challenge right there, isn't it, to live that way? I, I wish I could live that way. That's my goal. What are my barriers? What are my barriers? Well, I can quickly think of several I just want to give you an example of one that I've been working on for some time now. When I look at Jesus and his ability to have a conversation with just about anyone on questions of faith, issues of faith, I think about my barrier to that. Because my personality leans, my personality leans more towards the introverted side of the scale, which means I'm perfectly fine being alone. My circle of friends does not have to be large. I can, I can very quickly, not can, I do very quickly run out of things to say in a conversation after gorgeous day, isn't it? See ya. Now, I do not see this as sinful in any way. It's my personality. But here's what I know. It's a barrier for me. It prevents me from being the kind of person I want to be. It keeps me, it keeps me, it certainly keeps me from doing something I want to do and need to do, engaging people in conversations about faith. I want the freedom and the honesty and the grace-colored truth, the lack of worry about what people are thinking about me that was always present in Jesus, in all of his conversations. I want that. So I have a barrier that prevents me from being like Christ in this way. But I know this. Either the scripture is lying or I can grow to be more like Christ in every way. Those are my barriers. Question number three. So what activities, what relationships, what experiences can help me? Here is what I have been working on for at least two years now. 
in every encounter that I have, I hope to have more than a one-sentence conversation. That's simply how I think about my training. In every encounter that I have, I hope to have more than a one-sentence conversation. That means if I'm in the grocery store, when the clerk says to me, hi, how are you? And I answer, super, how are you? I'm not done. My goal is always to add at least one sentence to continue the conversation. And I found that almost one sentence is almost always enough to continue the conversation. So I might say things like, so are you going to get the time to go outside today? It is absolutely gorgeous. And if she looks at me and says, no, I apologize and meekly walk away. Or I might say, hey, it's really getting busy in here. Does it look to you like more and more people are getting out? Or if I'm walking in my neighborhood, when I say hi to a neighbor, I might add, so what are you putting in your garden this year? Or from talking to the mailman, in addition to thank you, I might say, so what has your job been like lately? I hear it's been chaos. Now, for some of you, you do this without thinking, and you are looking at me, some of you right now, thinking, what kind of goof is our pastor? This comes naturally to you. You do it without thinking. It does not come naturally to me. I don't do it easily. This is training for me. This is training Now, there is more that I need to do. Lately, because I've been doing this now for two years or so, I realized that, you know, I need to start thinking about some kind of accountability, some kind of community, because five years from now, I want to be able to say that I've gone a little bit further in this. I need to have people around me to whom I can say, okay, what's next? What do I do? I need to reflect more about this. I need to be writing in my journal about this. I need to be praying about this. I need to be asking God, God, can you help me see opportunities for conversations about faith so I can go further in this? But this is my discipline. This is my training. This is my way of hoisting the sails, of trying to work to catch God's spirit, allowing God to transform me in every way to be more like Christ. What will be your training? What will be your training? Now, keep in mind, this is important, keep in mind, when you become more like Christ in every way, you will not need the disciplines anymore. If you are like Christ in every way, you no longer need to train. But forgive me if this sounds insulting, you ain't there yet. And neither am I. So what will be your training? Now, now some of us will need training, we'll need to think about this, we'll need to, there, there's a class of disciplines called disciplines of abstinence. That means you are training to get things out of your lives because some of you have appetites that are going to destroy you. Some of us need to recognize that we cannot love people in a hurry. Now, this is not true of all busyness. It's simply not true of all busyness. But some of our busyness is in our lives because we're avoiding being home. 
which is a very, very hard thing to be honest about and admit, but it's true sometimes. Some of us are busy because we don't want to be home. Some of our busyness comes to us because we're chasing idols of prosperity and success and it will lead to empty lives and it will lead to huge regret the day of your funeral. The truth is, no one can love well in a hurry. Some of us will need to find ways to get things out of our lives. What will be your training? Maybe a day of solitude. Uh, maybe a day of, of, uh, of fasting. Maybe a day of fasting from certain things. Maybe you'll take a day, a week, of, uh, of spending a day without your cell phone, which just causes some of you to shiver and some others to say, thank God, let's do it every day. But maybe for some of you, it's, it's a day of fasting from technology. What will be your training? Now, as you consider what will be your training, I think it's also really important for you to, to consider your season of life. And I have to tell you, in the church, um, as a leader, I have, to, I have to confess that as a church, we not our church, but all churches, we've not done very, very well with this. Here's what's happened in the church. Sadly, very, very sadly, when we talk about training in the church, to our shame, we have talked about this as if the only training that ever matters is reading your Bible and praying. And we actually have a name for that in the church because this is the way we think about it. We talk about reading your Bible and praying as if it's your quiet time or your devotions. And in the church, we have thought so shallowly about growing to be like Christ in every way that we define it in just those two activities, reading your Bible and praying. So the automatic answer for many people in churches like ours is we judge our spiritual lives based on just those two activities. Do I have quiet time? Do I have devotions? And that would be like asking somebody else, how's your marriage? And you answer it based on two chores. How's your marriage? Well, I've been slacking and taking the garbage out lately, so I guess it's not going very well. That's our default in the church. So if someone asks, well, how's your spiritual life? We answer based on just those two things. Well, it's going really well. I'm reading two chapters a week in the Bible every morning. I remember, I remember when our twins were very young. And this was the context for us at the time. This is how we judge spiritual life. And Donna would say to me at times, she would say, it is so hard to find a time. If I get up a half hour earlier, inevitably, one of the twins will wake up. No matter how hard I try to sneak around, I get up a half hour earlier to have my quiet time, and one of the twins will wake up, and then he or she will wake the other one up. The next thing you know, now the twins are awake for a half hour longer every day, she would say. And then by the time I manage to get them down for a nap in the afternoon for an hour and a half, I'm exhausted and I have my list of things I have to get done. So in our context, in the context of this is how we define spiritual life, by reading the Bible and praying, how many moms, how many moms have felt as if they are failing in faith because their quiet time isn't going well when it is next to impossible? And yet, how many moms are there who have become 
some of the most selfless, loving, tender, and fiercely loyal followers of Jesus Christ. They were in training, and they didn't even know it. Training in every way to be more like Christ, and they didn't even know it. So consider your season of life. What might your training look like in your particular season of life? Now, one really, really important warning about this. You have to understand this. Training, training is not how we measure whether or not we are becoming more and more like Christ in every way. A discipline does not give us a way to measure our character. We do not measure by a discipline, by exercise. Imagine going to a baseball game and you get there early and you watch batting practice and a certain hitter managed to hit 14 out of 15 pitches out of the ballpark during batting practice. During the game, however, he strikes out four times, never manages to advance a single runner on the base, and he drops two fly balls. At the end of the night, he does not go to his coach and say, hey, coach, I had a really good night. Did you see how batting practice went? Training prepares us for the game. But it is not itself a measure of how well we're doing. I want to show you something that I recently learned. If you look at the words, and this is so basic, I don't know why it took me so long. If you look at the words disciple and discipline, there's an obvious connection, right? Almost the same word. The connection is so strong that so many of us think, well, to be a disciple, I have to be disciplined. Now follow this. This is important. In a sport... A disciplined athlete is the athlete who can do what needs to be done at the right time. A disciplined swimmer means that it is possible for her to swim the the butterfly competitively and give her team a shot at winning. A disciplined athlete is an athlete who can do the high jump or the hurdles or the 1600 and do it competitively. To be a disciplined athlete does not mean you are good at practice. It means you're good at the sport. The same is true in faith. A disciple is not a person who has mastered the disciplines. A disciple is a person who is growing more like Christ in every way. All you got to do is look at the people who were alive during the day of Jesus. At the time of Jesus, the Pharisees were men who lived very organized, very rigid, very disciplined lives. But you would never call them disciples. In fact, in some ways, they were anti-disciples, opposed to the life of Christ in almost every way. So we do not measure our lives by our training. We measure our lives by whether or not God is producing in us lives which are more and more like Christ in every way. So if you find yourself growing more and more proud of how well you are doing in a particular discipline, quit. It has gone sour for you and it happens all the time. Our training does not demonstrate for us how devoted to God we are. Our training does not show God how much we love him. 
We do not and we cannot manipulate God into answering our prayers, however desperate they might be, simply by getting serious about fasting or praying or any other discipline. Disciplines go sour when they create pride in us. When we think that the practice of a discipline is how we measure our faith, when we believe that a discipline is a means of manipulating God, when we think a discipline earns us something, when that happens, quit. It is doing you no good. Um, There's an interesting phrase that has been around the church really for millennia. Wise men and wise women in the church have called disciplines, quote, a means of grace. Not because they earn grace in any way. Grace is always 100% opposed to earning anything. Grace is a gift. But our training is a means through which God gives us the gracious gift of transformed lives. There's a great lesson from this that is used in the Bible at several places. Many of you will know this lesson. Do you remember the story of God way, way back in the book of Genesis promising a child to an old couple who could not have children, Abraham and Sarah? I will give you a child, God said. Some of you will remember some of the disasters along the way between the time of the promise and its fulfillment. Remember the one disaster where Sarah said to Abraham, take my handmaid, Hagar. Now here's the thing, this is important. Abraham and Hagar were able to produce a child on their own. They did not need God's grace. And they did on their own. Ishmael was born. Abraham and Sarah, on the other hand, could not have a child on their own. Grace was needed. And God gave grace. Abraham and Sarah, however, had to do something. What they did was never enough to have a child on their own. On their own, Abraham and Sarah could not bring about the promise of God. Isaac was a gift. Grace. Isaac was the result of God's power at work on their behalf. But God's power was at work on their behalf with the full participation of Abraham and Sarah. What they did was a means of grace. Your transformation and my transformation comes to me by grace. Joy. The kind of unending joy that was present in the life of Jesus can really be ours. Peace. The kind of peace that surprises us because it is present in some of life's most difficult circumstances and because it was in Jesus, it can be ours. Courage. 
the kind of standalone courage that was present so often in the life of Jesus when he confronted the powers of this world, it can be ours. The power to be transformed is real. But our transformation will come to us always and forever as a gift. It is grace. But we participate. Our training is a gift and it comes to us as a means of grace. So what will be your training? God, I pray for all of us. I pray, God, that you would be growing the character of Jesus in us in every way. I thank you, God, for the promise that you will do this It is not our burden to change our lives. It is yours. It's your project. It's your masterpiece, your work of grace. Thank you, God, that this begins now from what Paul said. It begins now and it continues forever. The life to come and the life now. Pray, God, that you'd be at work in our lives. I pray, God, for every one of us here, that even right now you begin to help us to understand what will be our training And then thank you, God, for the hope that we have that this training is a means of grace, a means by which you accomplish your power, your goal in our lives. Thank you. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about Horizon Church, please go to the website of horizonconnect.org. Have a great week.